Well, hello, everyone. Welcome out to Grace Church. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. I uh, work with our life groups and uh, excited to have you here this weekend. If I've never met you before, I'd love uh, to meet you after the service. And uh, thank you for tuning in online. Or if you're at Montrose or one of our live sites, we're super glad to have you with us as well. And uh, so this weekend, we are finishing up a series that we've been in called Asking for a Friend. As we've been covering a few... uh, different conversations over the past couple weeks, and you can find those uh, on the app or online. Go back and watch those if you haven't gotten to jump into them. And uh, we've been talking about some difficult aspects of the Bible, some difficult parts of it to understand. And um, I think that when we read the Bible and we interact with God's character, we uh, are comfortable with and excited to see his love and his mercy put on display. His love makes sense to us, and those are uh, the parts we like about the Bible. And then there are parts that really catch us off guard, where we see his judgment and his wrath, and uh, it, it seems opposite of his character. And it can be really difficult to wrestle through and to understand his heart and mind and all of that. And so we've been going through a few different, uh, different parts of the Bible uh, in those conversations. And these are the, these are the kind of things we wrestle with. Um, I know in the lobby, you know, you may have a conversation or even in a life group. Um, and, and these are the kind of things that are on our minds sometimes that we're trying to understand. It may even become a barrier for you in uh, trusting God's heart and mind because you read these parts of the Bible and God seems to be contradicting himself. He seems to be reactive or being hypocritical. And uh, we need to understand and explain God's character in its entirety and its wholeness. And so we've been laying down a, a few definitions, just real short, we could expound upon these more and more, um, but these are the simple definitions we've been using to explain some of God's character. We've been saying that the holiness of God can be displayed through his power, his goodness, and perfection, and that his justice is his definition of good and evil. And so his holiness is going to be displayed sometime through his power. Sometimes God is going to do something big. He's going to do something miraculous, and he's going to express himself in a way that we wouldn't anticipate, and his power is going to be put on display, and we'll see his holiness that way. There's also his goodness that's a part of his holiness. And so God is pure. His motives are pure. His agenda, he doesn't have an ulterior agenda. And when he leads us in a certain direction, we can know that it's for good and we can trust his holiness and his character in that way. His holiness is also displayed through his perfection. And so God is sinless. And any uh, direction that God moves, even though we may not understand why God does something or why he allows something to happen, we can trust his character and his holiness that it is perfect. Even if it's beyond our understanding, we know that within his character, it is perfect and it is good. His justice is just that it's God is the one who defines good and evil. And so when God says that something is good, it's good. And when God says that something's evil, it's evil. And it's up to him to determine that. And he'll weigh us against that definition. We don't get to, to um, argue with that. We have to be brought under um, or judged under that uh, and aligned with him. And uh, we would adjust our definitions to what he defines it as. And sometimes we may see God's judgment or his wrath carried out quickly. And God is able to do that because of his holiness, because He is always good, and whenever he pushes back against evil, it is always correct. And sometimes we see God's judgment worked out through patience. We talked about that last week, and that God may withhold his justice because he's being patient to carry it out. 
And so all those things are a part of God's complete character. We've been uh, using this illustration from the Bible Project. Um, find that online, just find Bible Project, all sorts of great videos. And when they describe holiness, they use this illustration of the sun. And so you think about our solar system, and the sun is um, the source of life. It provides warmth. It um, is powerful. It's unique. And so it's good to us, but it's also um, dangerous if you get too close to us. In the summer, you're going to get a sunburn, um, and we're going to be sad whenever it snows during the week and the sun goes away, and we live in Northeast Ohio. And so the sun is what it is. It's not being hypocritical, and it is what it is despite what we want to believe about it. It doesn't change according to our definition and our desires. It change, uh, we have to adjust to it because the sun is going to be what it is, and it's not conflicted. And so we're going to be finishing up uh, this series this weekend, Asking for a Friend, and uh, we're going to dive into one final uh, difficult passage, a, a teaching of Jesus that's very radical, and uh, we're going to try to understand that a little bit deeper, and uh, we're going to see how it highlights God's holiness and his judgment as well. So we're going to be in uh, Matthew 5, verses 27 through 30. You can grab one of the Bibles underneath the chairs and find that in page 786. Um, if you don't have a Bible, you can write your name in that and, and take it home this weekend. But you can also find uh, everything on the app as well or uh, maybe have the Bible on your phone, navigate, and find Matthew 5 in there. And so let me give you a little bit of context um, for where we're going to be jumping in. Matthew 5 6 and 7, is all one big block of Jesus' teaching, um, probably his most famous teaching that we call the Sermon on the Mount. And so Jesus is teaching all these things back to back in the same context. And the context that he's giving, you'll see this, pop, this phrase pop up a few times. He's talking about something he calls the kingdom of heaven. And he'll, he'll keep pointing back to what it looks like to be a part of the kingdom of heaven or what the kingdom of heaven is like or, what, or how we enter the kingdom of heaven. And what he's talking about in that language, the kingdom of heaven, is he's saying this is what it's like to live under God's rule and reign. We can experience this in the present. This is something that we can place ourselves under. If we want to experience the kingdom of heaven now, this is what it looks like. This is what it takes to experience and live in that under God's rule and reign now. And this is what we anticipate it being like in the future when Christ returns and God's rule and reign is perfect and complete on this earth with us. And so we, he's kind of got a present and a future reality to God's kingdom. He's explaining what it looks like, how we are a part of it, and what we should anticipate. And we jump into this uh, section that seems a little strange, starting in verse 27 of Matthew 5. Let's read it together. It says, You have heard that it was said... You shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell." So uh, <laughs> it's some intense stuff. And I had someone ask me before services, they were like, are you going to demonstrate this this weekend? And I was like, well, I only have two hands and there's four services, so not everyone would get to experience that. So no, I'm not going to demonstrate it. Um, what is 
Jesus saying here, this is the series we're in, right? Asking for a friend. I'm just asking, maybe I understand it, but maybe someone's asked me what this means, and I'm just, I'm asking for a friend. What's going on here? What's Jesus doing? Is he being um, extreme? Is he just trying to catch us off guard? Is he being literal? Or is he just um, trying to see if we'll call his bluff, and he doesn't really mean it? Um, so we're gonna, we're gonna dive into that a little bit. And a great place to start um, is right there in verse 27. He says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If you look in Matthew 5, you'll see uh, Jesus says this sort of phrase a few different times. You have heard that it was said, this certain thing. And he'll, he'll lean into something that is a part of maybe the Old Testament or a part of God's commands or the way that the people of God were living in that day. And he pushes back and he says, but I tell you this. And um, it can be kind of confusing if, if you're seeing Jesus do this repetitively. You can maybe begin to question, okay, is these things are actually parts of the Bible. These are actually things that God has revealed about himself. Is Jesus saying that yeah, God said this back then, but now we're backpedaling on it, and I'm kind of like, con God's contradicting himself, and I'm coming up with something new, and just forget that, I've got something different. I don't think that's at all um, what's happening here. Actually, in Matthew 5 as well, in verse 17, Jesus says that he came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. He's not trying to get rid of it. He's trying to bring clarity to what it actually means. And he would even say in verse 20 as well, he would say, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in that day, unless it goes beyond your understanding of it right now, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. You're not actually living under God's rule and reign. You've missed the point and you don't understand God's heart and mind behind this command. And so Jesus isn't contradicting himself. He's helping to properly interpret and imply why God gave that command. And he's pressing it deeper. He's pressing it into the place of the heart. He's saying just because you've been able to keep this externally doesn't mean that you've actually fully surrendered your heart to God in this area. And so he presses it a little bit deeper there. So this is one of the uh, Ten Commandments. You can find them in Exodus 20, and that may be familiar to you. Don't, you know, murder, don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't covet, don't steal. Um, these kind of things are um, commands that represent God's holiness. They represent his justice. This is who God is, and this is uh, commands that he's given to understand what is best living under his rule and reign. And so in, in a real sense, the teachers of the day, the religious leaders of the day, the people of God, they're not making stuff up. They're trying to understand God's holiness and to live it out, Jesus is just having to push it deeper and correctly help them understand that this is an, an area of the heart. This is something that isn't just external. This is something that we have to see inner change, that there's an inner obedience as well. Otherwise, it's just hypocrisy to say, I'm great on the outside, but what's going on inside isn't aligned either. And so this command is just one of, the ten, uh, one of the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery, that you're supposed to be faithful to our spouse. Adultery is unfaithfulness to a spouse. And in a biblical definition of marriage, a consistent definition that we would see throughout the entire Bible is that marriage is one man and one woman together for life. And so adultery is forsaking that vow, forsaking that commitment, being unfaithful. When I've said I'm committed and this is gonna be an exclusive relationship, that I've decided to, I've, I've wandered away, that I've become unfaithful. 
And Jesus is saying, this this isn't just physical. This is something that I have to be careful with, that any kind of abandonment in my own heart, in my own mind, whether that's mentally or emotionally, um, this is going to be the same level and, and trajectory of wandering. And I think the place, what he's pointing out is that what I'm pressing into here is that there's going to be a competition, there's going to be a competing um, love and affection in my heart. There's going to be ulterior things that I want to be drawn to that I'll just naturally be weak toward or fail in. And I need to see the things that compete with my heart that want to draw me away from um, his love and his commitment. This stuff is a big deal to God. Um, Actually, if you look at some other parts of the Bible as well, God will actually use this as an illustration for like an offense against him. He'll say things uh, to to the people of God. He'll say things like, I've been faithful to you. I've loved you. You belong to me. Yet you have wandered off and you've been unfaithful. You've played the adulterer. You've gone to other loves. You've put idols before me. You've, You've walked away from me. And God's reminding them to come back, that he's the faithful spouse and he is inviting them back and he's saying, come back, don't wander away from my love. I want you exclusively. Even in the Ten Commandments, if you look it up in Exodus 20, uh, 20, God describes himself as a jealous God, that he is jealous for his people, that he doesn't want things competing for their love and for their affection and that he is setting himself aside in a holy way exclusively for his people. And he wants the same kind of response. And so just like a spouse wants us to remain faithful to them only, God is pushing the same kind of reaction to his love and to our commitment to him. And so as we walk through this, um, it's gonna, we're going to jump back and forth between a marriage relationship and our relationship with God. I'll try to nuance that when it's important. But I think the main thing that is being driven here is that competing heart, that competing affection. Am I going to be completely committed in this relationship? Now, what's the deal with uh, the whole cutting out an eye and cutting off a hand thing? So he says... In the verses after that, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right eye causes you to stumble, your right hand, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. And so Jesus, is he being literal here? Is he like saying, okay, cut off your hands. I'm, I'm just trying to scare you or, or you know, use hell against you. Um, he's already made it clear that this isn't just an external problem. Like he just said that in the verse before. He just said that this is an issue of the heart and we need to press it in deeper there. So I, I, I don't think we're um, supposed to apply this literally, but I think that Jesus is showing something radical. I don't think he's just trying to spook us. I think that we're supposed to see that there's going to be this deep need to remove certain things that are competing within our heart. And he's using, I think, the hand and the eye as an illustration because that's something that's used as an instrument that's needed to sin. It's going to be something, a part of drawing us away and being unfaithful. And he's saying it may even be something that's useful or valuable to you, like a hand or an eye. These may be things that are convenient for us, that have always been a part of our life, that we can justify having in our life. And he's saying, I want you to be willing to give that up to pursue me. And the other thing that I think is so weird about this is that he just tells us to cut off our right hand 
and to cut off our right eye. Um, <laughs> like, I can sin with both my hands, Jesus, or with both my eyes. Like, if I'm supposed to be staying away from sin, shouldn't I just, like, cut them both off? Like, what, what's the point he's trying to make here? And so I started looking into that a little bit. And um, as I uh, was reading, like, why is it just one hand? Why is it just one eye? What's the point that Jesus is trying to make here? I found this, that an exclusive relationship means that I'm going to need to be single-handed, or I'm going to need to be single-eyed, or I'm going to need to be single-hearted. And this is what um, is being displayed here, is that it's going to be a certain kind of exclusive faithfulness. There's going to be a serious standard that I hold myself to because of the commitment of the relationship that I'm in. So Jesus raises the standard here, and he's he's saying, you can't possibly make a a full commitment to, to me and then hold on to that and say, I'm, I'm in, I'm, I'm going to hold on to you, I'm going to go wherever you go. And then allow yourself to have competing commitments where you also say, yeah, I'm going to hold on to this too, and I'm going to go wherever that leads me. And he's saying eventually those two things are going to begin to pull in different directions. And because God is who he is, and his character does not change, when he moves or when, when ulterior loves are going to pull me away, he's warning one of those grips is going to give way, and you don't want it to be the wrong one. And he's saying what you need to decide right now, you need to predetermine that you're going to cut off those opportunities and those uh, invitations to other things besides me. I want this relationship to be exclusive. It should be single-handed. It should be single-eyed. It should be single-hearted. And that's the point that he's trying to make, is not just stay away from sin because it's terrible. It's this idea of being committed. It's this idea of being exclusive. It's this idea of being dedicated. And so I'm going to have to release the grip of one of those things. Otherwise, one's going to give way eventually. We can't say that we're committed to and loving God and we promise that we'll follow him and also leave other options open and say that we love sin, that we're going to continue to pursue it or allow it to enter our lives when we know there's certain ways that we could cut that out. Um, I think about this in my relationship with Sarah and how like in our marriage, the relationship that we have is that we are only for each other for all of life and every part of our life and how devastating it would be to break that commitment and to invite someone else into that marriage and to break that vow and to have competing commitments. And that what we're trying to do is to continually fight against those things that would draw us away from each other. One of the ways um, that I thought about this is it has to be something that you're predetermined to do. You know the devastation that's going to come. And so you're going to decide now that if that opportunity comes or if um, there's an invitation or that I'm going to decide now to cut that out and I'm only going to be exclusive um, to this committed relationship. The way I kind of began to think about it is let's say you go uh, to movie theater. Let's say I'm going to the, the movies and I'm going with Sarah, and she sits down next to me, and it's a popular movie. Um, I don't know what that would be, like a Marvel movie, I guess. It seems like they get packed out really fast. So you're at a Marvel movie, I'm there with Sarah, and uh, the movie theater gets full, because everyone wants to come see it. And so I'm sitting next to her, and as people come in, there's a stranger who ends up sitting next to me. And the lights go dim, and the movie starts, and a little bit into the movie, I feel a brush on my arm. 
And if it's on the side that Sarah is, I might open my hand. I might hold her hair. I might put my arm around her. If I feel a brush on the other side of me, I'm going to like flinch or be like, hey, this was my armrest. I was here first. You know, this is, I'm, I'm going to already be like, whoa, I'm not at all interested or this is my armrest or something. And sometimes it's an accident. Um, my wife looks a lot like her sister. And so there's been a couple family vacations where I hug the wrong sister and I feel the tension. And it's totally like my fault, total fail. And, but my commitment is there. And I am, I am predetermined that I'm going to be exclusive to her. I can't help it. It was a fail on my part. It's something I predetermined in my heart. I'm going to be single-handed. I'm going to be single-hearted in my affection. There's going to be no competition. It's going to be exclusive to her. And that's something that's assumed in this conversation, is that I want that, that I'm pursuing her, that I'm committed to her. And it's the same thing with God. Do I want an exclusive relationship with him? Am I willing to do whatever it takes to be fully committed to him? Because I can't commit adultery unless I'm married. And he's saying, do you want to want me? Do you desire me? Do you desire that kind of relationship and intimacy with me? If I do want that kind of closeness, if I am willing to have that kind of commitment, Jesus presses us further, and he says, radical measures are needed to protect and invest in someone. That Jesus makes such a strong statement. He's so radical, saying you gotta cut off your hand, you gotta cut out your eye, gouge it out, throw it away, because he wants to wake us up to the seriousness of our sin. He wants to alert us to the radical measures that may be necessary to deal with sin. He's saying, I want you to be willing to do whatever it takes for me to have your heart, whatever it costs to be close to me. He wants and commands us to abandon any future prospect of engaging in sin. We're not keeping it in our back pocket. We're not allowing that opportunity to be an open invitation. And I think what's so important about this is that this passage isn't about me and my sin. I gotta stay away from sin. It's gonna get me. Someone's gonna tip me. It's gonna happen in my heart. Um, What's happening here is the emphasis is put on the relationship. Who is the person that I'm pursuing and how does my heart stay exclusive to them? So the radical measures that I take aren't just for me to put up boundaries for the sake of boundaries. They're so that they can align me closer to the one whom I'm committed to and whom I only love. And so when I create boundaries, it's not just me dictating them, it's Sarah. I want to protect my relationship with her. I want to put up the necessary boundaries that are going to keep our marriage safe and intimate. I want to invest in and build the right rhythms that are going to help us stay close to each other. And so here are certain ways I might do that. If I'm going to protect our relationship, ways that we put up boundaries in that, is we have the passwords to each other's phones. Like there's no reason for that to be off limits. It's, it's a boundary that we have. We create certain boundaries in our relationships with people of the opposite gender. That we know that there are certain boundaries that we keep. We would even do this in the way that we use and consume social media that we're not going to just mindlessly let our, like, consume it and let our minds wander to other things, or we're not going to post things that hurt each other. We're going to protect and put boundaries in that relationship. There's also going to be ways that we invest in each other, 
that we have regular rhythms and things that are costly that are just as radical because of the kind of commitment we have. So we're going to put our finances together. (laughs) And we're going to have to make financial decisions together. And the things I buy are going to affect her and the things she buys are going to affect me. We're going to make life decisions together, like parenting or big decisions that that matter. We're not going to just make those on our own because they're going to affect each other. We're going to talk daily and spend time together and pray together. And we're going to make that investment and continue to ante up and build into that. And we're going to do whatever it takes radically to protect it or radically to invest in it. And I can only do that with one person. I can't combine my finances with everyone. I can't make all of my life decisions based upon what everyone else wants. But I'm committing to be that close and build those kind of boundaries with her because it's an exclusive relationship. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes radically to allow it to flourish. And not everyone will apply the same radical measures. This isn't like, so everyone just needs to have the same rules and have the same uh, boundaries and rhythms. What's going to affect that is, what is it that causes my heart to wander away? What are the rhythms that I need? What are the affections and loves that compete with my heart? What allows that relationship with God to flourish? What will it take for me to stay close to him? And the reason I put up boundaries is not just to avoid the sin. When I put those boundaries in place and I put those rhythms in my life, it's not just for the sake of boundaries. It actually creates space in my heart to hear, ah, I'm really being drawn to this other thing. Here are parts of my life, parts of my heart that I haven't been willing to surrender if I actually admit it and I'm quiet enough and now that I don't have it, I can, I can admit how much of an attachment that thing had to me. And I can allow my heart to have space to grow as I create those boundaries and build those rhythms to allow my heart to actually change, that God will change my desires, that he'll change me from the inside out, that I will begin to love him more and more, that I'll love him with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all my strength, that I will see his love for me more and more. And those other things that are just distractions that make promises to withhold my, to have my love and to hold it, They're nothing compared to what God offers me, and I'll see his love as supreme in my life. I'm not always going to feel like it. I'm not always going to feel close to God. I'm not always going to feel like taking that much cost, paying that much, putting all that in the way. It has to be this active choice to pursue. It has to be predetermined, whatever it takes willing to pursue and be committed to him. But I think the promise that Jesus makes for us is that his love and his power are what make that relationship possible, that he's all in, that he wants us, that he knows where these competing loves and competing affections will take us. And he says something so radical, I think this is important for us to think about He says all of this because removing a limb isn't convenient. (laughs) It's not fun. Like we don't just do it for the fun of it. But it might be necessary. It might be what we need to do. And he may know that. I think that Jesus knows the life and death nature and the consequences of 
these kinds of choices, of this kind of a heart posture. I wrote it down this way. That God forbids sin and he creates boundaries because he knows that all sin leads to brokenness. It leads to sadness. It leads to emptiness. And it leads to death. Jesus knows that if we continue to just live a convenient life, unintentionally open to whatever pulls our heart in a certain direction, he knows that it's going to lead to brokenness. He knows that those things can't follow through on their promise to love us and to fill us up the way he can. And he's trying to protect us. And he's trying to warn us. He's trying to show us that only he can satisfy in that sort of a way. Only he can be that kind of a safe and loving, committed relationship. Another place, another place uh, where Jesus talks about something similar to this, he says, what does it profit you to gain the whole world yet to forfeit your soul? Like what good does it do to explore every option and every opportunity and to do whatever it is you wanted to do with this life and to miss out on the one thing that actually mattered? What good is it? What good is it to have that entitlement, to have all of those options, to explore everything you've ever wanted to explore and to miss out on the one thing that mattered in this life and eternity? And that's, it's hard not to get hung up on the hell thing. He's not using hell as a threat here. You're going to go to hell if you commit adultery. Hell is just eternal separation from God. Jesus is just trying to warn us that if we don't make the decision now to separate ourselves from sin, we've actually made a decision to separate ourselves from God. And hell is just the eternal consequence of that. You chose your entire life to do whatever you wanted to do, wherever your heart led you, and you didn't hold on to me. And that's what you'll get. You'll be separated from me forever. That's all it is. It's, it's not a threat. It's just the reality. Jesus is trying to warn us of our sin, of where it can lead, of what the consequences may be. And Jesus is saying, separate yourself from sin now and cling to me. That he's the one who actually made that available. There's no reason to be separated from God. I've been reading the book of Romans, and in one part of it, the, the writer says this. He says, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Who can separate us from the love of Christ? He asks, who can bring any charge against those whom God has already justified? If God's made you right, if God has loved you, and he's done that through his son Jesus, then who gets to make the decision of who separates us from that love? It's only us. It's only us. He says, I'm convinced that nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's saying that's a, that's a decision that we get to make because God has offered to justify us. He's already loved us. He sent his son, Jesus, to die for us, that he's more invested in this relationship than we ever were, that the reason that we love is because we know that he loved us first. And so it's a response. It's the fact that he pursued us, the fact that he initiated that relationship with us, that it's even available and that we can enjoy and rest in it. I think we need to see these commands from God as an invitation to his love. 
like a faithful spouse who says no to other loves so they can enjoy the love of the one and only one they're committed to. That's what God is calling us to. That's what he's already done for us. I think in this conversation, we've been talking about God's holiness and his justice, and it feels uncomfortable and strange and foreign to us that God would be that way, that, that his holiness and justice, we would interact with it. And I think God's holiness feels strange when we're on the other side of it. I think when his wrath and judgment are against me, that is a very frightening place to be. I don't want to be in the position or on the receiving end of God's wrath and his judgment. But if he's forgiven me and he's redeemed me and he's invited me into a relationship with him and loved me and I'm close to him, all of a sudden his holiness and his judgment are protective. That he's going to fight for me that he's, gonna not, he's not going to let evil enter this relationship. He's not going to let things compete with my heart, that he's going to pursue me, that in his holiness and in his justice, he will say, stay away because they're mine. They belong to me. And all of a sudden, his holiness and his justice become something protective and deep and defensive and safe. And we love it. And it's a beautiful part of his character. But do we see that? Do we see the invitation? Do we see ourselves as against God? Are we afraid because we're, we're so sinful or we, we, just, we can't get it together? Or do we see ourselves as people who've been forgiven, who've been chosen? See, I, I think that the reason that mine and Sarah's relationship is so deep, <laughs> I have to remind myself of this, relationships don't get deeper because you just forget the past and move on. Or because I become a better person. That's not what makes our relationship great. (laughs) Our relationship is amazing because she forgives me. Jesus knows you're not gonna be good enough. Jesus knows your weaknesses and your shortcomings. But intimacy and depth come from being forgiven knowing all of my mess, all of my weaknesses, all of my failures, and still, (laughs) and he forgives me. Jesus knew what he was doing when he came and got you. He wasn't surprised about how messy I was gonna be. He wasn't like, oh no, I didn't know this was gonna be a part of the relationship. I want out now. I can't handle this too much. he, He knew our baggage, he knew our pain, he knew our burdens and our weaknesses and our failures, He's like, yeah, I I want you. In our sin, he came and found us. In our sin, he came and forgave us. I I want you. You don't have to clean it all up for me. More than you being a good person, I want to forgive you. Forgiveness is what brings that depth and that closeness. And so you may be asking yourself this week, and you may be in one of two chairs. You may see yourself and you're like, man, Josh, I've made that commitment Maybe I've maybe been following Jesus for a while, while or I've just made that recently. And so like I'm all in. I, I want to know what it's like to be exclusively faithful to God. And I may ask myself, what are the radical measures that are going to be necessary for me to continue to pursue him in that way? Is there anything in my life keeping me from being faithful to him? The thing I need to do now is discern What's causing my heart to wander? What's competing 
in my love for him. I may need to give up an idol in my heart. I may need to give up something I've held on to for a long time. It's just become comfortable and convenient to me, or it's just who I've always been. And God's saying, no, I want all of you. I want you to create the boundaries. I want you to build the rhythms. I want you to protect this relationship, and I want you to invest in it. I want you to be radically given to me because I want all of your heart. And I want you to have all of mine. I don't want you to cheapen it. I don't want anything else to be a part of this. And so you may be in that chair. You may, you may know that you are committed to following him and you're just continuing to learn how you can follow him even better. How can, how can I give more of my heart to Christ? What, what things am I, are, lies am I believing? What things am I cheapening his love with? You may be in another chair. You may not be sure about Jesus. <laughs> All this holiness and justice stuff, man, this is like the hang-up. I have a hard time with this, Josh. You know, this is the stuff I wrestle with. I just don't, I don't, I don't know how I can see God's love and mercy and see his holiness and justice as well. It just, it seems hypocritical. God is who he is. This is the complete character of his nature. And I kind of have to bring myself to question, am I going to trust him Am I going to trust his love and mercy, mercy even in his holiness and justice? Because we could, we could do this series all year. We could just keep tapping on difficult passages and trying to figure it out. It's going to keep bringing the same thing. Do I trust God's heart and his mind in his holiness and in his justice? Am I going to see the heart of a father, the heart of someone who loves me in all of this? Again, that decision and what you're wrestling with is not about you finally deciding to become a good person. Like, you can't be. Like, that's why Jesus said, your righteousness has to surpass that of the teachers of the law. It's because he was saying, you need me. You need me to be your righteousness. I already know that you've been wandering. I already know that you're going to be prone to wander again. I know that, that you have weaknesses and failures and baggage and I, you need me to be your righteousness. You need me to be the faithful one who won't leave. And I, I need you to come back. I need you to make that decision and come back again and again and again and embrace my love. God is so relational that the way we would compare it to a marriage or the way that we would see him as a father and us as his children, that he loves us and wants to be close to us. There's nothing like it. His love is so deep and it was so costly. And his grace is sufficient. Like his grace is what we need. His grace is the thing we run to when we fail. He just wants us to come back to him. His holiness and his justice should keep us away. But it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. And so if, if you're in that chair this weekend and you're not, you're not sure, I would just ask you today even to pray through that. Can I trust his heart and his mind in all this? Can I see his love and mercy through his holiness and justice as well? So as the band comes out, I'd love to give us just some space to, to pray through that and to think where we're at 
Am I fully surrendered to him? Am I, do I need to run back to him? Do, I, do I, need, I need his help? And do I even need to make that commitment and that decision today? So I'd love to, to pray for us and give us some space to process through that. Father, I, I thank you for your holiness and for your justice and how it is a protection and a, and a defense for us that you want us to be safe and close to you and that it is not against your character for us to know your love and mercy as well. I thank you for the invitation to run back to you that no matter how lost we get and how easy it is for us to wander away that you want us to continue chasing after you. You've loved us first. And so that relationship is available even today. So I just pray that you would help us to be willing to pay the cost because you've already paid it for us. That we would set up the boundaries, the rhythms, whatever's needed this week in this next season to follow you more fully. And God, for those of us who feel kept away from you, would you help us to see that nothing needs to separate us from your love, that you've already paid it all, that through Jesus you have displayed your goodness and your perfection and your love, and we can embrace him and receive him even today. So help us to do that, even in these quiet moments. In Jesus' name, amen.